Welcome to Heritage Fellowship's Sermon of the Week. We hope you're encouraged and challenged as we study the Word of God together. Welcome this morning. We are still in Matthew. Matthew parable chapter. Chapter 13, verses 24 through 30 and 36 through 43. And I just want to read those over us from the NIV this morning. Jesus told them another parable. Say another parable. Okay, I'm not sure if y'all are excited about that or not. I'm not sure the disciples were. Yes, another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like a man who sowed good seed in his field. But while everyone was sleeping, his enemy came and sowed weeds among the wheat and went away. When the wheat sprouted and formed heads, the weeds also appeared. The owner's servants came to him and said, Sir, didn't you sow good seed in your field? Where do you think the weeds come from? An enemy did this, he replied. The servants asked, well, do you want us to go and pull them up? No, he answered, because while you are pulling the weeds, you may uproot the wheat with them. Let both grow together until the harvest. At that time, I will tell the harvesters, first collect the weeds and tie them in bundles to be burned. Then gather the wheat and bring it into my barn. So we find out a few verses later, verses 36 through 43. Then the crowd left. Or no, he left the crowd. The crowd's still there. Wondering where he went. He left the crowd and went into the house. His disciples came to him and said, Explain to us the parable of the weeds in the field. Jesus answered, The one who sowed the good seed is the Son of Man. The field is the world, and the good seed stands for the people of the kingdom. The weeds are the people, of the, uh, the people of the evil one, and the enemy who sows them is the devil. The harvest is the end of the age, and the harvesters are the angel. The angels. As the weeds are pulled up and burned in the fire, so it will be at the end of the age. The Son of Man will send out his angels, and they will weed out his kingdom everything that causes sin and all who do evil. They will throw them into the blazing furnace, and there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their father. Whoever has ears, let him hear. So last week was the parable of the sower, where we talked about soil. And again, this week, we're going to be a little bit out of order because as we talked about the parable and Jesus' interpretation last week, we're going to talk again about the parable and then Jesus' explanation of that parable again. And so keep in mind, we're going to go through all of Matthew 13. We've just organized it this way. Uh, to help in the teaching. So again, the original audience, you, you guys can decide if, you're, if you got to go in the house or not. I think you all did because you're in this house or your house if you're online. That's cool. It doesn't mean you get left out when Jesus explains things. just means that the parable was told to uh, all of those gathered around to the crowds and then the, the followers, the disciples, came in the house and they heard these explanations. Which was good. I think it's, it's, it's helpful to see how Jesus interpreted his own parables. It's useful for us in our interpretation of parables because at times these can be a bit tricky to interpret. I think a measure of, of caution is in order that we handle these carefully as we study and interpret them. You know, for example, I would advise against making these real strong doctrinal statements based on someone's interpretation of a parable. Like, oh, the enemy came while they were asleep, so we shouldn't sleep. Heritage Fellowship is against sleep. No more sleep. Well, you could, you know, for some of you, that's more coffee, so Mindy's all for that. But we want to be careful when we read these things that, that we're really seeking after the intended message. 
think a couple of weeks ago, Jared really dove into this. And again, I'd advise you to go back and listen to that to help lay a healthy foundation for the interpretation of parables. Because here we are again in this parable. It's interesting. There are several elements that Jesus doesn't explain. I think that's also useful, Jared, to realize like not everything in the parable has to mean something. And Jesus, you know, we're hearing these, these parables just like his original audience did. And, and I think it's interesting, right, because they're hearing a parable after a parable after a parable. And I, I'm, I'm wondering, some of them's going, enough of the parables already, man. Just tell us what you have to tell us. And if you feel that way, again, go back and listen to Jared's teaching a couple weeks ago. It encourages us into the point of a parable. Because I want to start this discussion about parables with a parable of my own. A couple of years ago was Christmas, and, and Kara and I had bought Victoria and Elizabeth a Wii. Does anybody know what a Wii is? The Wii U? Right? Oh, yeah. So, and it's not just for bowling anymore. I mean, you can race. These things are fun. Really, just uh, we, we bought it because it's going to be fun family time. You know, it's a, you can't lose the, the dice or misplace the cards, but you can still play a game together. So it's perfect, right? So you got to set the scene. We, we're, we're, we've got our, our Christmas tree, we've got the presents, and we've got it wrapped up. And, and the kids are there. They're getting ready to open this box, right? And so they tear into it. Well, okay, if you know my kids, one of them tears in, right? The other is carefully, just in case we might need this paper for something else. And, and neither of them understand why the other is doing it that way. That's, that's a piece of the story that has no parabolic meaning. See, that's, that's important. There's no meaning except I have two kids and, and, uh, that opened this present. And so the two kids opening this present are tearing into it, and they open up. They're so excited. They're like, yeah, a W-I-I. What's a W-I-I? See, they're so excited because, because they know their mom and dad, right? They understand the, the nature of their parents and the nature of their parents giving a gift. So they know it's good. They just don't have a clue in the world what it means. I kind of think the disciples were like that a little bit with the parables. Yeah, soil and seeds and, and reaping. Do you ever feel that way? I just want you to know it's okay. It's okay to open, open up your Bible and you're like, yes, the gospel, the shed blood, the church community. Yeah, I know it's good. Don't know how it works or what to do with it. I think that's where the disciples, I mean, can you imagine Jesus like before this has said to them, right? Let me, let me find the, the actual verse. Back in verse 10, when the disciples came and asked, why do you speak to the people in parables? Jesus said to them, because the knowledge of the secrets of the kingdom of heaven have been given to you. Yes. And then they hear the parable. And then what do they do? Right? They have the knowledge of the secret. Adopiah, secrets of heaven. And they all think everyone else knows what it is. So they don't want to say they don't know, but none of them know. And so then they get the W-I-I out. They don't want to do with it. Right? Ever, ever been there? And then here in verse 36, he left the crowds. And they're finally, so it took them uh, 26 verses after being told the secrets of heaven you have 26 verses later, um, hey, Jesus, I mean, for, for the other 11, I mean, not me. But would you mind to explain that to them? I mean, I've got it. I just want to say to us, it's totally awesome that we don't get it all. Because it's part of not being perfect, but being perfected. 
And we're all in that place. I just want you to know, not everybody else in the room and not everybody else online gets it. We're not here just for you. When you're like, I don't quite understand how all this works. Cool, most of us don't. And whether you have been on your journey with Jesus for 50 years or you met him during worship this morning, the amazing thing about Jesus is that every step along the way, we discover that there's more to discover. What else do you think you're going to do for eternity? You don't even know what you don't know yet. And the more you know, the more you realize you don't know. And then the more you want to know, and the more you find him, and then he's there, but then you realize you didn't know him as much as you thought you did. It's an amazing journey. And that's a journey we see the disciples on this morning. Man, the disciples, they're not perfect, yet they're being perfected. And it's okay that there are things that we don't completely understand, like the love of God, and the mercy of God, and the justice of God. And how does the gospel work? And how does that apply? And Jesus, I am so grateful for the church. What in the world is the church? Right? We, we're that way. And so at times we go, wow, Jesus, thank you that you have given the secrets of the kingdom of heaven to us. Could you explain those to me? How does this actually apply in my life? How do I work this thing out? How do I walk this truth out personally every day? It's fine to say those things to Jesus. And you know what? I missed this, this little passage until Saturday morning. Because we come to Jesus and say, Jesus, explain some of these things to us. He left the crowd and went into the house. There was closeness with Jesus. His disciples came to him and said, explain to us. In Matthew 13, 37, he answered. He answered. And when we're in this season of prayer and fasting, there's just something about closeness that produces clarity. You know what? I think that those disciples could have just sat in the room with Jesus and needed nothing else, just like we can. But we also serve a God when we come with questions. He, he answers. What a beautiful testimony of the nature and character of God. So when we open these things up and we completely don't understand, and we, we should be excited about them because they're from God, because they're amazing, because we understand Him, that He's a giver of gifts, that, that He is life and good. But yet we, we look and we don't understand how it applies, and we look at it and go, a W-I-I. And then God comes in and says, well, let me explain. That's completely not really in even the text of the parable, but it's good. And I like telling stories about my kids not knowing what a W-I-I was. So. Anyway, to our actual parable text this morning. For those of you who uh, just need one good truth, you can go ahead and doze off. You can catch the rest on live stream, and we'll head on into the parable. And this is what he had to say to the disciples when they, he said, I'm going to explain it to you. The one who sowed the good seed is the son of man. Jesus said, in this story, I'm the farmer. Now, at the same time, by extension, you could imply, as we put ourselves in various places in this parable, any of Jesus' disciples, meaning any of us, who proclaim the word of God, could also be the farmer. We could also be the one who sows seed into the field. The field is the world. You wonder, I think this might have been a little more. For us, we're like, of course the field is the world. Why would the field not be the world? But if you are a first century uh, Jewish person, it might come as a little bit of shock that the Messiah, that the Son of Man was sowing into the whole world. Not just 
to Israel. Isn't that interesting? We would take that for granted, but I think that perhaps was a bit controversial that, wait, we're going we're gonna to sow to non-Jewish people? I think this is a bit of a, a forerunner to what we see in the ministry of the disciples and in Paul's ministry, taking the gospel to the Gentiles, to the rest of the world. Like 99% of us are really grateful that happened. Meaning the 99% of us who aren't Jewish ethnically in this room. That the gospel, and here Jesus is declaring in this parable that the, the truth, that the children of God, that the seeds are, are meant for the world. And then in verse 39, we see, and the enemy who sows them, who sows the weeds, is the devil. Two important points to make at this juncture. Number one, there is a devil. We have an enemy. Number two, that enemy has a plan for your destruction. John 10.10 refers to the thief that comes to kill, to steal, and to destroy. This nighttime seed sowing operation was intentional. It is not the result of some sort of cosmic bad luck. We have this, this thought in our culture that just says, you know, there's some good and there's some bad and there's really not, not true. Things just happen. Oh, that was a bad thing that happened. I'm not asking you to look for a demon under every rock. I'm just saying to you, there is a devil who has a plan for your destruction, who, who is intent, who is focused, it is not just wake up every morning and just see what happens. That you, you have an enemy that's out to get you. And that enemy isn't bad luck and karma. And that enemy has a plan. And his plan in this story is the sowing of some seed. Now, unlike last week where all the seed was good, this week we see that there are some bad seeds. There are two types of seed. There's wheat, the good seed. It stands for the, the people of the kingdom. The good seed is the people of kingdom. They're the ones who have been receptive to the practice of the message of the kingdom, who have become the disciples, the followers. They, they would be the, the good soil from last week's parable, if you would. They're, they're, they're the wheat. They, they will produce a harvest, that, and that harvest has purpose. And then we have the, the weeds. The weeds are the people of the evil one. The people who belong to the devil, the, the unbelievers of Jesus' day whose um, intent is to reject and attack the gospel message. It's interesting. It's an important distinction to make here. The weeds are, are specifically darnel, also called a, a tear. It's related to a ryegrass which in the early stages of growth resemble the wheat. Now, you probably didn't know that. I wouldn't have known that. But the disciples and the hearers of this teaching would very much have known that. They would have this picture in mind where you go, huh, well, there you go. You got, you got the, the weeds and you've got the wheat. And at early stages, you, you can't tell them apart easily. It's, it's an interesting feature or facet of this parable. Because of now, now later on, when the harvest time comes, you can tell the difference between the wheat and the weed. 
As a matter of fact, when you look in this field, you actually can see there's a difference. You, you can tell from a distance what's what, but only when it approaches the time of harvest. And what's so bad about this, it's not just a nuisance. The grains of the tare are poisonous. So if you have that mixed in with your wheat crop, it's commercially useless and potentially harmful. So the weeds that were mixed in there are indistinguishable early, but as you go through and begin to see the harvest come and begin to see the crop mature, you realize what's there. And at that point, it's too late. And you realize this just isn't a nuisance. It could mean the destruction of the crop. Also, the tear was known to carry a fungus that would also kill the wheat. So what you have to see here is that this is really bad. And the disciples understand what's happening here. They understand why this is such a good plan of the devil. The devil's very crafty and very sneaky, and he, and he, makes, a, he makes a living. Maybe I should say he makes a killing, literally, by closely imitating that which is good. But when you look at it closely, over time, the fruit of the tree will show you the goodness of the tree. At harvest time, you look back and go, these are distinctly different things. But the devil tries to come in and sneak his lies in, looking enough like truth that we accept them. And that's what, is, what has happened here, is they realize we're, we're in a mess. And the harvest would appear to be in jeopardy. So we hear this. We read this parable, right? You don't have to show your hands because I think we would all agree. Like, it's good to be a wheat. I mean, I'm feeling, I, I ate my Wheaties. Except I didn't. We were fasting, but I would have. Had my Wheaties smoothie. I know that sounds gross, doesn't it? We like to think of ourselves as the wheat. But I realize I'm not perfect. I'm being perfected. And as much as I want to be weedy, there's a bit of weedy in me at times. So I think as we are talking through and reading through these parables, as I have encouraged us to do, we should not always read ourselves in as the hero of the story. Okay, so here's what happened. When the sprouts uh, appeared and the heads formed, and the wheat's growing, all of a sudden, there's these other little plants that show up. But it's not until harvest that all of the servants come up and tell the farmer, Houston, we have a problem. Right? Isn't that also just like the enemy? It comes in as a little weed. They probably saw it and didn't pay much mind to it. And it grows and it grows and it grows. And we often don't see the things that are counterfeit until it often appears too late. So they come, the owner's servants come, and they say, Sir, didn't you sow good seed in your field? Where did the weeds come from? It's harvest time, and the servants get a bit of an unexpected surprise. Man, what terrible timing. You're at your most hopeful, you're most optimistic, you're at your hungriest because you've used everything you had, and then here's the harvest. 
You're your most needy, you're most excited. Just imagine where you're at, and then you realize there's a problem with the harvest. How often do we question God when we get a little unexpected surprise? We think we know the plan, we think we have it all figured out, we know what's supposed to happen, we go to do the thing, except it's not the thing. We've got the plan all laid out. We're ready to go and we get up and that's not what's happening. God, didn't you do a good thing? Didn't you promise a harvest? It's not turning out like I expected. People have been people for thousands of years. I had a plan. The plan's not working out. I am disappointed. Whose fault is it? Which is exactly what the servants did. They went to the farmer and said, I thought you planted good stuff. Which is interesting because when I read into this a little bit, something tells me those same servants were the ones that sowed the seed. They knew what they did. Do you think some of them were going, I thought we got this. I mean, we walked in and said, weed and seed, you know, in Hebrew, they kind of look the same. Did you get the wrong one? Maybe they're second guessing themselves. Maybe, they're, maybe they go, no, he gave us the bag. Do you think he did this? Do you think he doesn't like us? I mean, you know he's going to eat, but if there's not harvest left, you know what, what? What do you think they were doing? They were looking for someone to blame. And they were questioning, I just, they were questioning the goodness of the farmer. I thought you were good and sowed good seed. Now there's this bad stuff. Where did it come from? The servants were surprised and frustrated and worried. You know, if it could have been, I think the wheat was probably a little surprised. You ever going along life, you're thinking, oh, fair, we'll let you be the wheat for a minute. And all of a sudden, you look around, huh, I'm not all surrounded by wheat. Do you ever look in your own life, and you all of a sudden, a tear is growing in your heart? There's a sin issue. There's, a, there's something that you've done, and someone in your home group points it out to you, said, hey, you know, you're not living consistent with the gospel here. And what do you do? When you look at that tear, do you, do you go, that, you know what? Huh, I, can't, I can't believe it. I'm not perfect. Who's fault? I think the wheat was probably surprised. I think everybody was surprised but the farmer. The farmer was not surprised. He simply said an enemy did this. The farmer knew. He wasn't shocked. He knew where it came from. So then the servant said, right, the enemy. What are we going to do about it? You want us to go just, that's it, all the weeds out. Pull them out right now. No, he said, because if you pull out the weeds, you'll uproot the wheat. We must let them both grow until the time of the harvest. And then I'll tell the harvesters, first collect the weeds. They'll be burned and then collect the wheat. The farmer was not surprised. The farmer had a plan. Man, isn't it good to serve a God that we can't surprise? There's a lot going on in all of our world. God is not surprised by those things. There's a lot going on in all of our hearts. God is not surprised by those things. And when we, we think to ourselves, I'm going to start going to home group. I'm going to start going to church. I'm going to start reading my Bible. I'm going to start whatever it is that you think you should be doing but you want to clean yourself up first. What, so you can surprise God? He knows where you are. 
He knows the weeds that are there. But he also knows the seeds that are there. And he knows the intent of the seeds. And he knows the intent that he had in his heart when he sowed those seeds. He knows you. Besides, you don't have the ability to pluck those weeds out by yourself. The only person that you're fooling into thinking God doesn't know what's going on in your heart is you. Everybody else knows. I just want you to know. Everybody else knows. And they look at you like, how does he not know? We all know. You put too much salt in your food. We all know that. Be honest. That's not intended for anyone, unless it was. So, God has a plan. What's the plan? This is what we want to do. This is our plan. We want to do something. We see a problem. We want to plan. Let's go. We're going to have a, a we're going to organize a committee. We're going to have a weed pulling army. We're going to divide it out, color coded. Everybody goes in. We got this thing covered. But that wasn't the plan. Because see, we realize there's a problem that the presence of the weeds within the wheat is, is means the wheat is going to have to, is going to, the, 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 the weeds are taking the nourishment and the water. They're taking all the good stuff and the sunlight. And they're getting in the way. And we need to get rid of them so the wheat can grow. And we got to get rid of them so that they don't show up in the harvest. And we got to get rid of them because it looks bad in the field. We got, we got to go right now. We got to get rid of this stuff. But the farmer knew that trying to separate the wheat from the weeds at this point would cause destruction of the wheat. I think that the farmer knew the servants lacked the discernment and the ability to separate the wheat from the weed at this stage. A couple of quotes for you. Resemblance can also thwart efforts to separate good and evil. In less mature stages, weed and wheat will not be recognizable as fruit or by easily discernible features are yet to appear. It's interesting in the way we relate to one another. We see ourselves as wheat, we see other people that we disagree with as weeds, and we want to just tell them to stop being so weedy, should be a, a wheat like me. But is it just possible that in our young and immature stages, we might not be able to easily distinguish what is good and evil on our own? How many times would we would we see someone and go, oh, this is, they're just righteous and they're perfect. And we realize, huh, maybe they're not as perfect as we thought. They have a process to go through. Or we would judge someone else and go, they look a little, they look a little weedy to me. But they just need some time to grow. But if we break them off at that early stage in our own timing, we may miss a harvest from the Lord. Because at times, good and evil intentions can resemble each other so closely that it takes the Holy Spirit to tell them apart. So then an interesting question you ask. So Casey, is this a parable of tolerance? Are we really just supposed to let the evil of the world keep on growing and just let God sort it out at the end? I'll be my wheat, you be your weed. I'll be my wheat, you guys can be some weeds, and we'll just all live in the field together and, you know, let God sort it out at the end. I don't really see this as a parable of tolerance. I see this as a parable of trust. Do we trust God more than we trust ourselves? So then how do we respond to evil, to injustice that's in our lives and in our world? I would encourage us more toward a heart position, not so much of tolerance, but one of reliance and obedience. Because in the end, it's, it's not about me and my ability to distinguish right from wrong, and it's not about my timing. 
But the question is, the question that was raised to the servants is, do you trust the farmer and his ability and his plan and his timing more than you trust yourself? Do you look at what's going on and immediately want to spring into action for your own sake, or do you look at what's going on and find yourself reliant on him and obedient to his plan? Do you trust the Lord to deal with the weeds? And what's interesting is, when we stop and we can see that there are also weeds in our heart, maybe it's easier to have a little bit of grace for others. Perhaps we should think about it this way. Christ invites us to listen for God's direction and to each other, keeping the best interest of the community and God at heart so that we are neither frozen in fear, so that we're neither frozen in fear of doing nothing, excuse me, I'll get this right in a minute, so that we're neither frozen in fear of doing wrong nor emboldened to act self-righteously. Let me read that again. I think we have two options that we're trying to avoid extreme response. One is to go, oh my goodness, I can't do anything. There's evil in the world, but I have to tolerate it. I'm just going to stand here because I don't want to do anything wrong and we do nothing. And yet on the other hand, we would be, uh, 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 some of us enticed to go through just pulling weeds left and right because we just can't stand it. And I think rather the message here isn't, isn't to be uh, some sort of self-righteous, emboldened, pull all the weeds at one time, nor is it just to stand uh, by helplessly and let evil do its thing. But somehow the message is that we are to listen to God, listen to others, and have the best interest of, of God and our community and each other at our forefront. And then we rely on Him and we obey Him and we trust Him. Because it would be very easy to hear this parable and go, oh, we've got, we've got to do something right now. And we hear this parable, oh, well, we can't do anything. But I think our heart position has to be one of reliance and one of obedience. Because we do live in a complex world where often good and evil can be indistinguishable. And our lack of understanding can lead us to confuse them. And, and I think we think too highly of ourselves to think that we can easily in every situation distinguish right from wrong. And we find ourselves being the judge and the farmer when we're not. And I also think we have to take all of Jesus' teaching as a whole. This isn't the only time that we see how that uh, a follower is to interact with evil in the world, but we have to see the truth that isn't before us. And we're not going to take a, a, this, a, a doctrine from this place and take it all the way to one end of the world, but we also can't ignore that it's there. Maybe think about it this way. We must remember there is an eternal judgment coming, yet we are not the eternal judge. But we want to be. And there's this, there's this pull on our flesh that would try to say, can't we all just get along? It's not like there's a judgment coming. Well, there is. But then there's also this pull on our flesh that just wants to be, bring the judgment right now. And some of you are in this camp and you're frustrated that we're talking about that. And some of you are in this camp and you're frustrated we're talking about that. And I'm just saying that somewhere and in a reliant on Christ, obedient way is a trust in Him more than a trust in ourselves. And I started to say this earlier, but I think maybe we'll go there and say this. We, we have this idea of, of yes, there's, there's, a judgment, there's a judgment coming. The harvest that Jesus talks about is, is in reference to the end of the age. And, and some of us just have a real hard time with that. And, and I'm just here to tell you that, that one of those things that, that we look at and we go, hey, this is awesome. God, you are love and grace. Oh, 
this is amazing. And God, you are righteous and holy. How did, how did these come in this? I don't know. An opportunity for Jesus to begin to impact our hearts. And, and we begin to understand that which we don't understand. But, but I want you to know that, that Jesus is, is love. But he's also a righteous judge. And the fact that you can't make those two things coexist in your mind is not a limit on God. It's just a limit on your mind. I love you. It's just hard to understand, right? It's hard to explain. Try explaining to your 10-year-old who says, well, if God is love, then how come that people go to hell? That's a really good question. I don't quite understand it. And the more I understand it, the more I realize I don't really understand it. But what I do know is the God that gives these gifts is good. Therefore, this is a good thing. And the fact that I can't explain it all doesn't make it not good. But what I can tell you is over a lifetime and an eternity of experience, we will begin to understand and our understanding will turn us closer to him and give us more to worship him for. Because as we see more of who he is, it allows us to worship him from an entirely new place. And then when we worship him in that place, we're able to see him for more of who he is, repeat forever. But what we cannot do is look at it and go, I don't know how to make God as as love and God as judge coexist. I don't know how to explain that to people. So we're just going to say God is love. That's easier to tell my coworkers about. We'll forget the judgment thing. Well, that's not very nice. That's not very good. That's not what a follower does. And understand that it's difficult, but it's part of being a follower to realize that there's a judgment coming. It's also part of being a follower to realize that you're not the judge. It is, not, it is up to us to have righteous living, to be, to be obedient, to speak truth and love, to do all those things. But it's not up to you to adjudicate every evil of the world. If God has given you a place to stand and speak truth into another person, by all means you should do that. But you should do that out of humility as a follower and not of your own accord. And keep in mind that, that when you think about it, I'm grateful for the patience of the farmer. Because I know in my own life, there are times that there are those weeds that don't belong. And if he just went in and pulled it all up and said, oh, you got some weeds, you're out of here. Man, a lot of us wouldn't be here. 2 Peter 3.9, we read this. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise. In this instance, his promise of a coming judgment. He's not slow, as some would understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you not wanting anyone to perish, but wanting everyone to come to repentance. Worship team, if you guys would come. It's so easy in our culture to allow ourselves to be hemmed in to a belief system and a method of thinking and acting that does not line up with biblical truth. It's so easy to try to grab a hold of one aspect of God and pretend the others don't exist. And we see that. We see all of these separate things that would misrepresent the fullness of who God is. And this is a tough parable. It's tough to go, wait, 
the weeds and the, the wheat are allowed to coexist for a season? I don't understand that. It's not a parable of, you know, the weeds are okay and nothing bad happens. It's not, a, it's not that we're happy about the weeds. It's not this tolerance place. So, well, what is it? Well, it's about judgment. Well, then if it's about judgment, then well, why does the judgment take so long? And, and what do we say to people in our, in our, in our life who, who we realize don't know Jesus? They're, they, they are, they're the wrong plant. Well, one of the things we tell them about is a, is a Savior who's able to come and, and, and make you new. And, and, and there was an intent by an enemy who has a plan to destroy you for your life to be a weed, but he'll come and make you new and you can be a wheat. Not in the parable, that would have really confused them. And then comes in another farmer who changes the, you know, but that's what God does. How does he do that? It's amazing. He takes those weeds because his heart was that that would be wheat. And he comes and he changes those things to the fullness of what they were supposed to be. I don't know how that works in, in your uh, farmer agronomy parable. It, it, that's why it's a parable. You can't make it mean every truth that there ever was. But we take the truth that is in there and we go, Jesus, thank you for your goodness. And at some point we have to look and say, Jesus, look look in my heart. Where, where are there weeds in my heart? Where have I looked at my heart and said, oh man, it's great to be wheat. And say, Jesus, come and change those weedy areas into productive, life-bringing wheat that's meant to be a harvest of good for others. Read this quote to you. God calls the church, that's us, to form and reform a faithful community of discerning people who preserve in hope of God's ultimate justice through Jesus. And at its best, the church is exactly where we need to be because it is where we are seen for who we really are, part weed, part wheat, and wholly reliant on God's grace. Would you stand with me? Let me go back to this. Christ invites us to listen for God's direction and to each other, keeping the best interest of the community and of God at heart so that we are neither frozen in fear of doing wrong nor emboldened to act righteously for ourselves. Man, you can be emboldened to act as righteously for the Holy Spirit, for Jesus as you can be, but it's His righteousness, not our own. I think those are the two wrong responses that we are most tempted toward. Frozen in fear, so we do nothing, or we take matters into our own hands. So I think this morning is an opportunity to look in our own hearts and to look in, in the world around us and acknowledge the fact that yes, there are weeds there. But then also to acknowledge that we can trust God. It's not a matter of just tolerating to the end, just holding on, being glad you're a wheat, looking at all those weeds, burn, baby, burn, you had it coming. It's not the heart of Jesus. There is judgment coming. That should inform the way that we live life as wheat. Wheat knows there's judgment coming. 
and the weak doesn't want to see any of the weeds destroyed. That's our heart challenge this morning. Not to say, look at me how great I'm a wheat. Come on, judgment. But to go, Holy Spirit, how can I be your hands and your feet to go and, and speak truth to these weeds? And that requires trust. And a lack of trust is one of the, the biggest things that, that prevent closeness. You, you only will allow someone to get as close as you trust them. We have, to, we have to trust Jesus. We have to trust Him that He knows more than we do. We have to open up His kingdom, open up our Word, and we see all of those things that we don't understand, but we do know in His very basic nature that God is good. And so that what we see from Him is good and we don't understand, we fall back on His goodness, not on our lack of understanding. And we find ourselves reliant and obedient. So as we worship this morning, if there are things in your heart that that you're struggling, that you think, man, I, I have been frozen in fear. I've not wanted to seem intolerant. I've seen injustice. I felt the Holy Spirit tell me I need to speak to it. And I was so afraid. I just didn't do anything. This is a great opportunity just to repent and to find your Father's voice calling you to that place of reliance and obedience. Man, if some of us have been so self-righteous and so judgmental and we're going around just blasting people because we're offended... Man, this is a great place to go, you know what? You're not the judge. And if, you, if, you've, if you've walked in that judgmental place toward others or toward yourself, trying to judge yourself and make yourself righteous, and then you're just self-righteous, and this is an opportunity for you to come before the Father, for you to kneel where you are online, for you to come up to the altar, for you to just kneel where you are at your seat and, and, and ask the Holy Spirit to allow you to rely on Him, not on yourself, and to obey the voice of your Father. We don't want to walk out of this place afraid or self-righteous. So as we worship, let's just ask the Holy Spirit to let us hear what it is that He's saying. We all have ears. This morning, let us hear. Thanks for listening to this week's podcast. Please join us online at heritagefellowship.us or in person in Jefferson City, Tennessee as we encounter God, touch lives, and impact nations.